Well, we're still in the book of Romans. We're still in chapter 13. And today, hopefully, we'll get into some of the questions some of you have been asking and some of the, uh, what you might describe as loopholes to chapter 13, verse, verse 1. Because we've been saying all along that Paul in uh, chapter 13 doesn't give any exceptions, just gives the basic principle of submitting to the governing authorities. And what that means is that uh, Romans 13 basically makes a very strong and kind of uh, broad universal statement that is applicable in uh, probably 99 percent of the situations it will face. But uh, there are some examples. In fact, there's no specific teaching concerning exceptions, but there's some examples. And only from those examples might we draw some uh, conclusions concerning how we might respond to uh, difficult situations in relationship to the government. Now, before many of you signed on, Denise asked one of those questions in terms of how do we respond to the government when uh, it is paying for abortions, not only in this country, but in uh, foreign countries as well. So those are the kinds of things that we need to think through and think biblically and think from a biblical worldview. So hopefully we'll get... Through most of that, we may not complete it today, but uh, what I intend to do today is give you primarily the reasons why from the passage, so we're going to look at the same verses, but emphasize reasons why we need to submit and why the general principle, the one developed in verse 1, is universally applicable so we've been stressing the idea of authority. So uh, we're looking at uh, a letter that was written to believers in the city of Rome. And uh, obviously they were under a different set of governmental circumstances. But there's also some similarities and they were under the same instruction. Obviously, this was initially given to them in Romans 13, 1. But it's inspired and applicable to any age, any believer, in terms of application. So we want to certainly apply the passage in the 21st century. We've been looking at Book of Romans broadly here. Doctrinal section, provisional, provision of God's righteousness, first eight chapters, vindication of God's righteousness, 9 through 11, that deals with the place of Israel primarily. And now he's wrapping up, basically, the, the book with application. In other words, how does it uh, fit in terms of everyday living? What does it look like in different situations? And we've been looking at starting with the major relationship with God himself. And if we have this one in proper biblical perspective, then uh, it'll overflow into the other areas. And in fact, without that proper relationship with God, all of the others will be out of, uh, 
out of step, if you will. So the essence is that fellowship, that relationship, making ourselves available to him. In other words, unreservedly giving ourselves to him like a living sacrifice, sacrificing our desires for what he would have. And that will spill over into the relationships that we have within the church, beginning with spiritual gifts and the exercise of those gifts. And they need to be exercised in the power of the Holy Spirit. Another way of talking about that living sacrifice, another way of describing it in relationship to the Holy Spirit, who is God. And uh, that'll apply broadly to loving church members as well. So two parts to chapter 12. And in fact, even in difficult situations towards the end of it. We're in chapter 13. We're looking at the beginning of it in terms of society, starting with government. And then eventually we'll get to verse 8, which broadens that relationship as well. And when we complete chapter 13, we'll look at Christian liberty, chapters 14 and 15. So just a context of the passage, application to society. Three major parts. First part, we're still in. First seven verses, submission to authority. So we've been hammering home those two concepts, authority. And I'm going to look at it a little bit again by way of reminder. And submission to authority, our basic relationship in all of the divine institutions that God has established. First two verses, he lays a foundation, giving that general foundational principle of uh, submission to governing authorities. The first deals with the response of submission, verse 1, and we've looked at What do we submit to rulers in this context? And he makes some broad statements relating to rulers as well. So every person, verse 1, is to be subject to the governing authorities. So that's the broad overarching principle. That's the starting point. And in Paul's revelation here, there's no exceptions apart from uh, some examples that we'll look at later on. But there's no exceptions in the passage. And he gives some reasoning, for there is no authority except from God, which is another very, very strong statement. So we traced the concept of authority even before creation, and we saw that uh, there is authority and there's a chain of command, you might even say, within the Godhead itself, within the Father and the Son. There is a hierarchy of authority. So this is inherent even within the, the Trinity itself. And God has established this as part of the creation. In fact, that'll be the first principle that we look at. And those which exist are established by God. So here's your slide that reflects the outline within an outline. And we've already looked at these, but let's review them and put them all together that it might encourage us and motivate us in uh, these different situations that we might, in fact, not only be willing, but be encouraged and be warned, actually, because some of them are warnings concerning 
resisting authority. So the very fact that uh, there is no authority except from God, I tried to develop the idea that God has created the universe with this concept within it, particularly in relationship to his creatures, this concept of authority. So it's built in, it's part of the creation, and it involves angelic creatures as well. We looked at the, well, we talked about the passage. Actually, we did read the passage in Isaiah that uh, referred to the fall of the greatest angelic creature that God made. Lucifer was his name, and he fell. And at the heart of that is a resistance to authority. He sought to place his throne, in other words, delegated authority on an equal basis with God himself. And that is the example of the first fall of God's creatures. And then we have other examples also in terms of mankind. So it's built into the creation. So that's kind of one of the reasons. So you go against God's established order, God's plan for the universe when we resist authority. It's kind of like if you try to resist some of the natural laws, there are consequences and damage will be done. You try to violate the law of gravity and uh, you're not going to have an impact on the law of gravity, but you may have an impact upon yourself as you hit the ground. So goes against nature. And those which exist are established by God. In other words, this is part of his divine, you might say, decree, his plan, his what he has set up. Both of these relating to how he has established all things in the universe. So two reasons we have right off the bat, just the nature of creation itself, built in authority, and then God has established it, and he has set it up that way. And you might even look at it from the perspective of God decreeing authority in terms of his relationships. And then uh, we looked at verse 2. Therefore, here's the negative. Whoever resists authority, resist has opposed the ordinance of God. So whoever resists looks at violating that plan, that created order. And the idea, uh, just a quick reminder, the word submission, hupotasso, notice it uh, has the prefixed preposition, I guess you could say. And in Greek, you change the meaning of the word depending on attaching different prepositions. Hupo is under or beneath. So lining oneself under authority, we saw the meaning of that word, to submit to authority, the basic idea. But the word to resist is the very opposite. In other words, it goes totally contrary to hupotasso, and it is antitasso. So against authority or resisting authority is the idea there, even opposing so to resist or to oppose authority. We looked at that last time. So whoever resists authority has opposed 
So we have even an expansion of the idea, re-emphasis of it, strengthening of the idea has opposed the ordinance of God. And the word that is used there could be related to decree, back to the idea that we looked at in verse 1. So this is what God has set up, very strong language, and uh, we are warned in the following passages against resisting at least governmental authority, but we broadened it, and I think it's broader because we have the same words and the same concepts in the other divine institutions that we've already looked at as well. So resistance is rebellion, and it's rebellion against the created order. It's rebellion against God's decrees. And obviously, bottom line, it's rebellion against God. And this will be reiterated in the following verses as well, 3 and 4. And there's consequences to violating God's order. And they who oppose will receive condemnation upon themselves. And when we say condemnation here in the context of the book of Romans, you keep in mind for the believer, there it, it doesn't have... A reference to ultimate condemnation for the believer, that is settled once and for all. And it's even settled in terms of a relationship to God as believers. Remember chapter 8 starts, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I tried to develop that's in relationship to being in fellowship. But there are aspects of condemnation that you can suffer in terms of the law, for example, in terms of government, and even in terms of nature. There are consequences to violating God's decrees. So they who oppose will receive condemnation upon themselves. What was that word for decree? The Greek word? I'll have to look it up. Oh, sorry. No problem. Uh, tage, tage, or tag, tagmene, tagmene is the word there. In verse one, tagmene, tage in verse two. Okay, so verses three through five focuses on the function of the state and how that condemnation is assigned to uh, the institution of government. And Paul's going to give us the role of government, and he views it, and from God's perspective, it's viewed as a ministry. So that it's a ministry, verses 3 through 4. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, first part of verse 3 there, but evil in other words, uh, this he's going to expand how that condemnation is worked out in terms of uh, society. Do you want to have no fear of authority? So there's, there's consequences that should be feared, uh, similar to the passages that encourages us to fear God. Some of the contexts deal with fear because of uh, God is a righteous and a holy God that can bring discipline to the believer and judgment to the unbeliever. And in the context of condemnation, do you want to have no fear of authority? 
uh, obviously the answer is uh, you cannot avoid it. So we looked at the role of government. It's one of the main functions of government is to restrain evil. The restraining of evil, we developed that last time. Uh, we saw that uh, there are examples in the Old Testament how God established within his nation a government with very detailed laws and uh, punishments relating to violation of those laws. We're not going to go over them, but we reviewed some of the purposes of the Mosaic law, which by way of principle is applicable to the purposes of other laws of other governments as well, is to teach right and wrong, what is right, what is acceptable within culture, within relationships with other people. Uh, the purpose is to restrain evil that is inherent in man because of depravity. It's also to deter crime. If you know there's a penalty, it uh, warns you against engaging in those violations and uh, the Mosaic Law had provisions for restoration or rehabilitation, you might say. And part of that was repayment of uh, restitution for, for damage done, particularly to property and those sort of things. So that's an important element. Unfortunately, it's severely lacking in uh, our culture and historically in general, it's lacking, but there's plenty of provision in the Mosaic Law for rehabilitation. We talked about imprisonment and how that is certainly a deterrent, but it's not, even though attempts are made at rehabilitation, what it really is is a training center for crime, for more crime, where criminals are able to exchange techniques, you might even say. So that's one of the purposes and the Mosaic Law also had provisions for preventing individual carrying out of justice. So it prevented vengeance. And there were other provisions besides those cities of refuge that we looked at last time. So another reason, a good reason for submitting to authority is the danger of punishment that is developed in at least verses 2 and 3. In fact, you can take it even into verse 1 there, the danger of punishment and the consequences as a result of violating. And then uh, the verse continues with, do what is good and you will have praise from the same. So submission brings positive effects as well. And there are blessings for obedience. And the primary ones that we expect is the provisions that government make for for freedom, for opportunity to 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 prosper and to uh, pursue the things that bring other blessings as well, to raise families and and the protection from evil. These are the blessings of of government, rather than the recipients of the justice of government. We are the recipients of the benefits of the function of government. So that's developed in uh, the lat latter part of verse 3 and verse 4. And in verse 4, for it is a minister of God to you for good. Remember, we looked at the word minister, the basic and common word for service. And we looked at it in chapter 12. Even the gift 
of service. That's the same word, essentially, same word group. It is a minister of God. From God's perspective, God uses it as his tool to accomplish God's goals. And any minister, that is what God desires, is that we be utilized as his tools to accomplish his goals within within the society that he puts us in, within the church, within the relationships that we have. So even though in most contexts it relates to spiritual and ministry in terms of spiritual things and eternal things, in this context, it has the idea of God carrying out his will and his plan in the very practical outworking of government. And part of the outworking of government is to establish certain things within the culture that allow a culture to function in the way that God has designed it. And I stressed just by using this slide, the fact that uh, he emphasizes this idea, not only the beginning of verse four, for it is a minister of God, but again, later on in the verse, for it is a minister of God, the, the same phrase once again with the same word. So the repetition hits it two times in the same context, emphasizing this instrument or tool that God uses to accomplish his purposes. So even a pagan, unbelieving, evil king God can utilize to accomplish certain purposes. And God can do that without any responsibility for the evil or the sin of that individual, that evil king or that evil person. And uh, there are limits that uh, God imposes upon even the evil. They cannot go beyond his permissive will So we can trust because of that, that uh, as long as God allows a an evil ruler to rule, we can trust that uh, he calls upon us to even submit under that circumstance because he is sovereign. The whole idea of God's sovereign and a an evil ruler is nothing more than a tool of God. And there are things that we may not even know that he's accomplishing even through an evil ruler. In fact, Ray. go ahead, Jeff. Is that Jeff? Yep, that's me. But I, I was I was waiting for you to take a breath. Oh. Um. <laughs> oh, I don't breathe. <laughs> okay. As an example of this exact verse, uh, Jeremiah 50 and 51 points out, that God is going to destroy Babylon in the future. Yep. Because they went beyond what he intended in 586 BC. Well, not only that, but there was a lot of evil even within it. Yes, but yes, absolutely. Uh, Jeremiah 50, uh, Jeremiah 50 and 51 specifically states that uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, went far beyond what he intended when he sent Babylon against Jerusalem. And thus, at some point in the future, he will fully and completely destroy Babylon. Right. And that reminds us of Habakkuk. Remember at the beginning of the book of Habakkuk, he's mourning the uh, 
the uh, decline and the idolatry of Israel. And he's praying and even confessing to God in that first chapter there. And then God surprises him by telling him that he's raising up an instrument to deal with the nation of Israel. And when uh, God tells Habakkuk what he's going to do, he's going to use an an even more evil nation, the, the Babylonians, to do it. This repulses Habakkuk. But all the same, God used that instrument to discipline his people a people that were even more evil than uh, the nation of Israel. And it just showed the not only the sovereign hand of God, but also this concept of, of, of authority and this idea of a, of a minister of even the most evil of empires. And you can see that throughout history as well. So another uh, role of government is the rewarding of good and the establishment of of peace, the establishment of opportunity for prosperity and flourishing of a culture, even though some governments go against that as well. So we looked at the word diakonos, the word for minister, same word for deacon, and in many contexts, the idea of service. We saw it in 12.7, service and deacons, etc. So another reason to submit is even the most evil of governments fulfill God's ministry. In other words, they are ministers, just like a preacher in front of a, a church. Proclaiming the word of God is an instrument of God accomplishing God's purposes In uh, an analogous way, even an evil king will serve the purposes of God. And for that reason, he calls upon us to submit. Now, this is difficult. It's not easy. But uh, it's not easy in any of the uh, divine institutions. Wives with husbands. Employees under an evil, harsh employer. Sometimes uh, some church leaders are dictatorial and sometimes demanding and sometimes not so loving. But all the same, even though it may be difficult, we're called to submit under those circumstances. But if you do what is evil, now he kind of goes back to the reiteration of the evil. Be afraid. There's reason to fear because of the consequences that he laid out. And he gives a reason for it. it does not bear the sword for nothing. And this introduces a function of government. It's not only to restrain sin, but to deal with sin. And this is the New Testament passage that gives warrant to the Old Testament, not only within the nation of Israel, but even all the way going back to Genesis 9 of uh, the death penalty because the sword was the instrument of uh, of capital punishment. And then the little phrase again, for it is the minister of God. And this is one of the roles, one of the purposes, one of the ways that God uses government and even evil leaders. An avenger who brings wrath. We looked at all of those phrases last time. 
rather than individual vengeance that we're told uh, not to take out. Chapter 12, never take your own vengeance, 1219, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And this is the means in a culture by which God has established to avenge justice or to effect justice. And it may require um, the sword. It may require execution. It may require capital punishment. And it's on the one who practices evil. So another role of government is retribution of evil. And I use that word punishment. You can substitute just, I use retribution just to Keep the alliteration going there. Restraining of evil, rewarding of good, and the retribution of evil. The sword, makaria, instrument of execution, capital punishment is in view here. And I gave uh, a passage. Somebody look up Deuteronomy. Anyone care to look up Deuteronomy? And this is for the Pertzers. They can put this passage on their refrigerators and the Benkies and some of you others. Maybe if you have grandchildren, you can put this verse on your refrigerator. Who's got Deuteronomy 21? Got it. Steve's got it. Read 18 through 21. 18 Deuteronomy 21. If any man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or mother, and when they chastise him, he will not even listen to them. Then his father and mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gateway of his hometown. And they shall say to the elders of his city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Wow. Then all the men of the city, yeah. then all the men of his city shall stone him to death. So you shall remove the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear of it in fear. Wow. <laughs> Pretty strong statement. This is for a rebellious son. Can you imagine that? That's a that's one of the commandments. Yeah. Honor your parents. That's a commandment. That's a capital punishment. And that's just one of them. There's several others that are specified within the law. So that's a verse for your refrigerators, parents and grandparents. Another reason, verse 5, here's where we concluded last time. Therefore, it is necessary. So there's a necessity here to be in subjection for all of the reasons that we've spelled out. But uh, there's another one here, not only because of wrath, not only because of the consequences, not only because the possibility of capital punishment in this context, but also for conscience sake. In other words, it's going to affect us spiritually, not only in terms of uh, physical experience and experience in terms of relationships within the culture, but it's going to affect the conscience as well. And it's going to get us out of fellowship. So I summarized another reason there, a seventh reason. And remember, seven is the number of completions. So fills up the sheet there. 
staying in fellowship, if you remain submissive to the authorities that God has established in all of the divine institutions, we remain in fellowship. So 13.5 is it. So uh, those are all the verses I wanted to look at today. We'll look at 6 and 7 next time. But in the time that's remaining, in fact, 6 and 7 deal with a specific area. And probably because this was an area that the early church struggled with, and it's an area that we struggle with as well. And in fact, it uh, deals with uh, one of the areas that I mentioned earlier that Denise raised in terms of if the government is evil and doing evil things, are we called upon to support it in terms of finances? But we'll save that for next time. Now, let's take a look at some of these exceptions and the time that we have left. And we may not get through all of this portion that what I want to get over. But uh, what about any exceptions? And we see some examples. I have already mentioned that in general, we have this broad principle of submission. But we do also in some passages see some exceptions. And let's look up some of these. Uh, We don't need to look up some of them. Some of them are very familiar to us. And let me just remind you, for example, in Daniel, in fact, I'll have you, let's not look up them. Somebody look up Esther, however. Uh, This one's not as familiar. Esther chapter 5. Somebody else look up chapter 7. And we're familiar with the... uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story. We won't look up that one, but somebody look up Acts chapter 4, and that'll give us some passages to to read. But if you remember, in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel's just a, he's just a kid. He's probably a, a teenager, along with the friends as well. They were some of the early Jewish youths that were taken into captivity into Babylon during the Babylon, Babylonian destruction and captivity. They went in uh, one of the early waves. And what the Babylonians were doing is they would train the youth in the ways of the Babylonians. So they were essentially put through a college curriculum, you might say, to make them good uh, Babylonian citizens and useful useful slaves, essentially. You remember the story, part of the training required uh, certain certain things, but uh, certain diets as well. And the diet that Daniel observed was one that in some ways violated probably the Mosaic law. We don't have the specifics, but Daniel made a proposal. And uh, this, we could draw some principles from that. And he offered an alternative, and he actually would have put the authority at that point over him at risk for violating what he was required to carry out. And Daniel is very respectful and requests an alternative, and the authority grants him his wish and put him through the test. And if you remember Daniel and uh, the others were 
better off as a result of eating the vegetables rather than the the rich diet and the diet that was specified by the Babylonians. So we have one example of how Daniel dealt with a an issue of, in that case, probably a violation of the Mosaic law that Daniel, as a godly youth, would have wanted to observe and obey and not violate, and how he was able, through wisdom and uh, a proposal, able to accomplish what uh, he felt was God's will. He was very submissive, all the same, and I'm assuming that had he not been granted the uh, alternative that he would have uh, complied, or I don't know what would he have done, but I think that would have been a good assumption based on the principle. Then we saw another occasion where he was called upon in chapter 6. You're familiar with the story where everyone was required to, uh, that was the one to pray to the false gods, and uh, Daniel prayed to the one true God, and he was observed, and he was actually turned in, and he had violated the decrees, but he was also, a principle we can draw there, is he was uh, uh, willing to suffer the consequences of violating the decrees of the, the government on that occasion. And remember, he was thrown into the lion's den, and uh, God protected him. So God honored his faithfulness, even though he was uh, in violation of what was spelled out. So there's some things we can learn from it. Did any, who's got Esther 5, 7 through 8? Remember the I Jews? Did. Let's see, who's that, Katie? No, Denise. Denise. The context, uh, there was a decree to uh, basically destroy all of the Jews in the Persian Empire. So here's a Persian government and anti-Semitism, and you can see the sovereign hand of God putting Esther in a position to be of influence. So there's some examples there in terms of how Esther was able also, much like Daniel, to be able to sway the, the authorities against what was decreed. Why don't you read 5, 7 through 8? So Esther replied, my petition and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and do what I request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet, which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king says. Okay, notice not only the submissive and respectful attitude, but also the the wisdom of effecting a plan in order to propose an alternative to the decree. And then uh, who's got, does somebody else have chapter seven? If not, I'll have uh, Denise skip over there. Katie, do you have that one? I do. So the king and Haman went in to feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, 
Let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, for we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Okay. Now, we could ask the question in terms of our culture, is it permissible to do a protest? Is it permissible to, for example, stand outside of an abortion clinic and hold signs, that sort of thing? You might see, in a sense, you have a protest here, but it's done in in great wisdom. It's done in submissiveness, and it's done under the favor of the authority. And in fact, in this case, the, the request was granted. So, Esther also, you might also say, you might seek positions of authority or you might use whatever authority that God has granted you as he granted Esther in this situation. This might be a reason for some people to be called into the whole arena of politics, to be able to uh, affect changes within the government. And this is an example of Esther who is in that position to be able to do that. So uh, I think there's some things that we might learn from that by way of example, not by way of uh, commandment anywhere or instruction, but from the example of Esther, we might draw some principles there. And then we have a similar situation with Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in uh, Daniel. They refused to worship the idol, chapter 3, that was established And they were willing to suffer the consequences as well, but they could not violate the very first two commandments of the Ten Commandments, so they refused. So here's an an example where they refused to submit to the authority, but in the same context, they would suffer the consequences. And you know the story. It's a well-known story, uh, children's story even of how God protected them through the, the uh, fire of the uh, furnace. And who's got Acts chapter 4, 16 and 17? This is the New Testament. We have examples of resisting authority, chapter 4, 16 through 20. I've got it if you need me to read. Go ahead, Connie. Okay. Saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Okay, so here's an example where the government is commanding them not to do something that God has clearly commanded them to do. And in this case, they refused. They uh, did not submit. They had to continue preaching the gospel. That's the Great Commission. So they basically violated it. Now, if you read the context, they were also willing to suffer the consequences of it. 
But we do have an example of resisting authority in the apostolic age itself and the apostles, and we have a record of it in Scripture. Again, it's it's an example, and the danger of developing principles from examples is sometimes we can take them too far, so you need to be very careful. All of these are just examples, and you need to take them within limits, and I would say be more conservative than stretching them beyond what I think is intended. Chapter 5, we have another incident. Somebody else have that one? If not, Connie, you probably still have your Bible open. Anyone else want to read 5, 28, and 29? Go got ahead. It. Oh, who's got it? Oh, this is Katie. Katie. Go ahead, Katie. 5, 28. Saying, uh, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Okay. Yeah, we must obey God rather than man. In other words, here's a clear exception. And I think the principle is laid out there is when the government, I think, is commanding you to do something to do what God has clearly commanded. I think the example is that uh, in this case, they had to obey God. So there's kind of the principle that I think can be drawn. And again, we don't want to take that too far in terms of saying, well, I know that God doesn't want me to support abortion, so I'm not going to pay my taxes because the government pays for it. So you have to be careful to not to stretch these things too far. We have an example of Paul under arrest. Now, he's falsely accused, and there's lots of passages. I've just given you a few. We won't look these up, but just for your own, you can go back and look at them. But you can see some things that you can draw, some more more principles in terms of being under authority, and in this case, in danger of suffering a penalty, even though falsely accused. Notice how Paul handles a situation. He's not belligerent. He's not abusive. In every case, he's not only respectful, but he also, a principle we can draw from this, he uses every legal means available to be able to alleviate the situation that he finds himself in. Remember, he claims to be a Roman citizen, so that gave him certain privileges legally, so he takes advantage of that. 25, 10, and 11, he ultimately, when everything fails, he ultimately appeals to Caesar as a Roman citizen. So he's availing himself of all of the legal means. And I think today we can do that as well. We can uh, avail ourselves of the things that God has provided within the system, within within the government that we find ourselves in. And we, we let the law play itself out. But all the while, our attitude is one of submissiveness. Another example, we won't look these up, but tribulation saints are going to be put in a very difficult situation, and some of them are going to die as a result of not complying. Now, it doesn't state 
overtly in these passages, but it does give us examples of martyrdom as a result of the government. So these are the extreme cases in the tribulation period where believers will basically die for their faith. And here's just a couple of passages that kind of indicate that. There's some other ones in the book of Revelation as well. So these are a few exceptions by way of example to the principle that Paul develops in Romans. So we can draw some principles from this. The standard, in other words, 99.99% of the time we submit, but we also submit in the midst of, in some cases, needing to resist at least. So submission is the overwhelming, not only attitude that we maintain through all of it, but somebody look up 1 Timothy 2. This is another thing that we do. And this is something that we do continuously in order that not only that we be submissive, but that God, the sovereign God can work through the leaders that uh, he has established as instruments. Who wants to read uh, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3? I've got it. Okay, go ahead. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Okay, so this is what God desires, that we pray, and this is regardless. Paul is exhorting the believers under the... Roman Empire in the first century, and it's scripture, and it's applicable to whatever government. And we see examples of of this in the Old Testament under even more severe governments. So that's one of the principles that we can apply in terms of how do we resist? Well, we resist starting with prayer. Paul is an example. Esther is an example of use, utilizing all of the legal means that are available and also the influence that we have in the positions that we have in terms of Esther, but also Daniel, the influence that Daniel had and the wisdom. You can include Esther there as well. So we have legal means within our system to appeal things, to uh, bring things up. Uh, we have the opportunity and the freedom to, to protest, for example, as long as it's done uh, probably in a godly way. Church history, there's examples of believers that, and I, I think they had the freedom to flee. In fact, our, a lot of the believers that founded our country, they fled uh, religious persecution even, and that was one means. The Huguenots, even in, in England, they fled uh, persecution in France and they went to England and settled there. The Puritans in England fled to our country here. So that's a possibility as well in some circumstances, some situations. My sister Jamie and I are both descended from Huguenots, two twin babies that were smuggled out of France into Switzerland. Wow. So you have a heritage there. In general, we obey God in some circumstances, rather than the governing authorities, uh, but we are 
need to be willing to suffer the consequences. We saw that in Daniel and the disciples. So there are exceptions when, and I think there's two situations, when the government issues decrees against God's clear prohibitions. The Daniel example of God prohibited the worship of idols. And Daniel and the free three friends had to uh, obey God rather than man, but they they suffered the consequences for it. And then the other one is against God's clear commands. This is the disciples where God has clearly established the main function of the church is to proclaim the gospel, the great commission, and in the example in the Acts passages 4 and 5, Acts 4 and 5, the disciples had to obey God because the government was asking them to do things that were clearly against clear commands of God. So anything the government desires in terms of clear prohibitions, and I would say primarily the Ten Commandments, and particularly idolatry and that sort of thing, and or uh, when the government is against the clear commands. And uh, I hope that's helpful, but that's basically all I see in Scripture. And most of the time, I think we're called to submit. Uh, Ray, Go ahead. this is Mary Lee. Go ahead. I have a question. So it seems like all of the um, resistance to unjust government came from people who were protesting an act done directly to them. Esther protesting her, her death and her people's death. Uh, but now you see, um, I'm just looking, thinking of acts of resistance against principles because it's one thing, it seems like all of the, the resistance was done by a person against something specifically being done to them. Do you, do you protest laws or, or deci uh, decisions that are a general principle? I'm, you know, I'm thinking about all the issues that are swirling around our country today, or many of them, they really don't affect me. I'm not in the, I am not myself getting an abortion, you know, so many things like that. So it's not me resisting something that's being done to me, but it's it's resisting a deception upon others. This doesn't speak to that, really. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's what we have to weigh is that question that you really raise. And I think we need to be conservative in terms of not going beyond, being careful not to going beyond. Uh, that's why I've stressed throughout the general principle over the exceptions here. But we do have these that we have to look at and try to draw some principles from them. But I think in our culture, we have many legal means that we can apply and we should exhaust, go through them and exhaust them. But in a lot of cases, when the government just gets totally out of hand, there's it there's not much we can do other than uh, suffer consequences in some cases when when they apply to us individually. Right. Jeff. 
But reflecting back to uh, Romans 13, uh, we recognize that government officials are performing as ministers of God to oppress and punish evil. Uh, as a matter of fact, it says that the government is now the avenger of blood instead of the near relative, like under Old Testament law. Can we not at least point out to the government how they are in violation of God's laws? Yes. I, yeah, I think that is a function of the church is to be the salt of the earth. In other words, we are the proclaimers of righteousness, but we cannot demand and we we cannot insist upon what we exhort. All we can do is try to exert the, uh, the effort to be the influence that uh, we can be. Ray, this is Bill. Bill. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that's quite disturbing about this is the, the statistic that most Christians don't vote. And it's a very basic way of, of changing the government. Yes. And yet uh, so many Christians are not even doing that basic. Right. And in fact, I was going to, I knew I wasn't going to have time to probably get to this, but uh, next time what I'd like to do is expand upon what you're saying, the place of activism. And next time there's several things, the privilege to vote and the, uh, not only the privilege, but probably the encouragement to do it. But there's other things that we need to talk about that we'll get to next time. Any other comments? My con concluding thought here or application, submit to authority 99.99% of the time, keeping in mind that uh, there may be some occasions, but we need to be very careful with those in terms of when we tell the government, I've got to obey God rather than men. Right. Go ahead, Stuart. Um, I got the time zone wrong again, so but I'll, I'll get used to it. Um, so what you take under this um, concept of governors telling churches they can't open? Uh, I think that may be one of the 0.01% of the time because you, you have a clear mandate. I think you exhaust all the legal means, do all that you can to... Uh, alleviate it without overt disobedience. But I think there comes a time where we may have to just obey God and not man. We, we have a mandate not only to proclaim the gospel, but and also I think there's some creative ways that we can go about things as well. Different yeah, ways. It's a difficult one because MacArthur had the um, assets and means to challenge the government legally. Right. But a lot of smaller churches don't. Don't. And uh, mm -hmm. it, it's one. Of, it's a conundrum. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, and and there's no clear. Right. There's no clear answer. I think people have to individually have to make up their minds. Was that well? Dead? Unfortunately, here in New Mexico, the state police was actually going around and ticketing people. Yeah. Yeah. Is uh, that right? And maybe we pay the fine. We'll we'll come back at this. I'll start at this, and then we'll talk about taxes also. Arthur. God's in ultimate control and not to lose heart that I think the most primary thing that we all have to remember is that we have to get the gospel forward no matter what. If he closes the church thing, walk out the street, knock on your neighbor's door. You know, God is in control and that we cannot lose heart. And I know that submission is difficult when we hear that. 
And I think it kind of rumbles in our stomach a little bit the wrong way. But God wants us to go out there and just share the gospel. And I know that no matter what, there's always an opportunity for us to do that. Excellent comment. Excellent comment. Okay, well. Amen. I think I think we live in two different worlds, and we're not too far apart. You're in California, and we're in Texas. And I know that the restrictions are so much tighter there than they are here. And we almost see um, a lack of submission out here. And, you know, it's, it's great that um, our state government is, you know, pretty pretty lax, especially when you get out of the major cities. Um, but, yeah, we've, in general, just from what we've observed, uh, you know, there's some, some churches, it's just kind of a church-by-church basis out here, really, um, depending on what they require and how they meet and where they meet. And um, it's interesting. So Good. Good comments. Very tight, but, you know. We just like to not lose heart and just remember that the gospel is the most primary thing for us in this age and that God is coming a time when it will be a very theocratic government. We won't have these issues that we're struggling with and trying to change, but it's on his timeline. And I think this has been such an incredible time for growth, too, Um, you know, just in our uh, like sanctification and our faith walk. And well, I'm just speaking personally, I guess, but um, in a way, this this time has been such a blessing and I've been able to talk to people I don't normally get to talk to, um, in creative ways, like Ray, Ray has said, and Arthur, like you say, just get creative and get the gospel out is, is really the main thing. It's the great commission. So. And in the future, in the uh, glorified condition of the tribulation that you were talking about, we will be the authorities in glorified (laughs) decorated bodies. And well able to enforce what Jesus commands. You mean the kingdom, yeah, future kingdom. Jeff, well, did just, you have Jeff had a comment there? Yeah, just one quick reminder. Texas has been different under COVID, but it wasn't that long ago that the mayor of Houston demanded pastors submit their sermons to her because she didn't want people preaching against her, and that went to court. Yeah, yeah. I did not know that. Wow. She might get That's saved through one of those sermons. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, amen. <laughs> Send them all to her. <laughs> yeah, great. Okay, well, right. I don't know if Sharon's still with us. Go ahead. Uh, that was uh, Mary Lee. Yeah, I'm just looking at the clock. and We're going to be leaving for church pretty quick, so I hope we get to prayer here. Yeah, let's do it. I think Sharon already left. But she left kind of a little report at the beginning. If you missed it, feel free to pray. Heavenly Father, we lift Sharon before you and her needs, um, especially in the coming weeks uh, for the translation into Spanish of these Roman lessons, Romans lessons. Um, Father, we... uh, lift her time before you. We thank you that she has the month of May off since Ray will be traveling. Um, and pray that you would find just the right person to help her with the translation and that the translations would be true. 
Uh, we pray also for all the college kids from their church that are on a retreat this weekend, um, and for all young people. She said that they would not be influenced by the culture, that they would instead be culture influencers. And for Alicia and Bernice, um, as they are studying, hopefully soon, the, the new set of uh, the new book that she sent them. Uh, Father, continue to disciple them in their walk. I pray for Sharon as she does this, that you would uh, inspire her by your spirit to be able to disciple these women long distance. Mm 